Hello, everybody, and welcome to the DNB Back Bay Partnership for Healthcare inaugural podcast on the current and future landscape of the IPO markets. I'm Jonathan Gertler. I'm the CEO and managing partner at Back Bay Life Science Advisors, and I'm delighted to be joined today by three of my partners, Jim Sorenza, who's head of fixed income and equities at DNB, Christopher Braden, director and head of equity capital markets at DNB, both based in the New York office of DNB here in the United States, and Vasilios Kafitsas, partner and managing director in the investment banking group at Back Bay Life Science Advisors. We're interested in having a very compelling conversation today about a subject that's near and dear to all of us. I'm going to start off just by asking my partners to introduce themselves briefly. Jim, let's start with you, please. Jim Sorenza here at DMB Markets. I've been here for 12 years. I'm responsible for the equity and fixed income sales force, and I spend a lot of my time on the equity capital markets function, particularly with companies listing in the U.S. I've got a 40-year career in the industry, which includes Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Carnegie. Thank you for having me today. Great to have you here, Jim. And I think it's fair to say you've probably seen every cycle that any of us are concerned about. So, Christopher, please. Uh, my name is uh, Christopher Bratton. I work here in um, DMB in New York. Been with the bank for the last 12 years uh, and the last uh, nine years uh, here in New York. So excited to be here today. We're so glad to all be together. And I think it's fair to say among the three of you and Vasilios, you'll introduce yourself in just a sec that every cycle that we've seen in the healthcare markets has been seen by the people on this podcast. Vasilios? Sure. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Vasilios Kofitas, uh, as you said, a partner and managing director on the investment banking side for Back Bay Life Science Advisors here in our Boston office, primarily focused on deal strategies uh, and the execution for M&A licensing partnering and through our partners here at DNB, increasingly involved in the, in the capital markets initiative. Terrific. Welcome all and welcome everybody who's listening. Again, I'm Jonathan Girdler. And I want to just say a quick word about the DNB Back Bay Partnership. It's a relatively new entity. I think most of you know this podcast through Back Bay alone, but we're delighted with our partners being on this one. We formed the partnership in late May officially, and it's really designed to service this healthcare ecosystem across the spectrum from the earliest strategic needs of emerging companies that are developing and refining great offerings up to the large companies and the public markets that provide their definitive financing for the realization of these great healthcare contributions that we all serve in our different capacities. DNB Back Bay now has a global presence in the public and corporate markets. It's got strategic reach from the very largest to the dynamic small emerging companies around the globe and close ties to investors of all forms. All of this weaves the DNB and Back Bay partnership deeply into the fabric of the advances in healthcare throughout the world. And we're really delighted not only to be working together, but to be bringing this combination to you in the form of not only this podcast, but a lot of other good things to come. So let's start off with the question that I think is always on everyone's mind. And Jim, I'm actually going to start with you. Uh, it's not been an easy time. And as we've said, we've seen these cycles before. We don't think the window is slammed shut, but the window is barely allowing even the faintest puff of air and would love to get your impressions of where we are at the moment um, with regard to the dynamics leading to this IPO market and the capital markets in general. Yeah, quickly looking back, 2021 was too good to be true. 2022 was as closed as we've seen in, in more than two decades. So now we're at a market which is, I think it's open, but investors are 
investors are in a position where now they need to sell things to buy things. And so they have to sell things which are part of an indice to buy something new. The capital markets have functioned this year. I'm surprised they haven't functioned better. As it relates to healthcare, we've there's been about two and a half billion dollars raised in the U.S. market year to date from an IPO point of view. From a fallen offering point of view, we've passed twenty five billion dollars. As you think about the size of the capex R and D budgets, it's not a massive number. It does represent the second largest industry behind technology in terms of capital raise, but the, the, I do believe the markets are open, and I do believe the markets will become more open. But we got to get twenty twenty one out of our heads. We're not going to have the perfect windows to play with. Thanks, Jim, for those insights. And Christopher, can you expand a little bit with regard to your specific view of the healthcare public markets and IPO ability of companies in this market, and maybe comment a little bit as well? because they're so interconnected about the European and Nordic capital markets as it relates to the U.S. influence. Sure. So uh, in uh, Europe, the sentiment has been more challenging uh, as uh, we only have seen for IPOs about five companies uh, coming public. Uh, but uh, some of them have been sizable, so the aggregated amount has been $1.5 billion. And uh, most notably, uh, now in December, we saw Scott Pharma out of Germany uh, raise 1.0 billion uh, via an IPO. On the fall on offering markets, I would say one of the most notable from the Nordic region was uh, GN Store, which is a hearing aid company from Denmark, which uh, DMB was global coordinator and a joint book runner on, where we raised uh, 2.75 billion Danske Kroner. Commonality among those two companies is that uh, size is something that investors are looking for, and with that also comes liquidity. But it's been uh, more challenging out of Europe uh, so far, but uh, it's possible to have deals being done as well. And Christopher, just to expand on that a little bit, and the example you gave in Europe is very much a on ongoing meaningful concern without the development risk and the regulatory risk of the classic biotech offering. Biotech seems to have really receded until a couple of recent offerings in the United States. So can you draw a little bit of a distinction between the higher risk companies that so dominated 2021 versus some of the more substantive companies with regard to revenue profitability and clear commercialization that might be the leading edge in 2023 and 2024? Yeah. So from uh, ECM side, uh, as uh, Jim uh, said, 2021, it was full risk on, and you could see the most riskiest companies uh, uh, within healthcare coming to the market and raise substantial amount of equity, both in the US and also in Europe. But now that the interest rate uh, level have changed uh, significantly, it's a much more uh, risk off tone in the market. It's much, much more challenging to raise equity for biotech companies in particular, as we see it in the current sentiment. Thanks for that. And Vesalius, certainly the steps leading up to the public market are critical. Uh, private investment um, and having the right cadre of venture capitalists and other um, mezzanine investors in place is enabling um, for um, public emergence. Licensing and partnering certainly becomes a critical aspect of validation. And perhaps I'm speaking here more about biopharma and biotech and even medtech than I am about some of the more substantive commercial um, classic healthcare companies that Christopher was just alluding to. 
But tell us a little bit about your view of the state of the private markets and the licensing and partnering markets that influence IPO ability in the long run. Sure. I'll, I'll take the private uh, markets first because uh, these companies have certainly taken a hit. Um, while investors in our industry have, have raised quite a bit of capital, the primary focus of that capital is for current portfolio companies. So investors looking to create a funding environment when they know they don't only get new capital, but also new investors has been difficult. With the capital markets close, valuation has taken a hit. So there are two angles where private companies looking to raise capital have struggled quite a bit. And this has had an impact on the M&A licensing partnering front as well. Um, deal making, as we know, for the large companies, it's always going to be there. The issue here is supply where because a lot of these companies don't have access to capital like, like they once did, they've had to go seek a partnership a lot earlier than they originally would. So that has created quite a bit of supply in the market. Um, it hasn't quite slowed down licensing partnering M&A per se, but it is certainly taking longer from a process standpoint and valuations are taking ahead as well because of the supply issue. You know, it's actually interesting. I'll just add an observation as well. Oftentimes, I think in the healthcare sector broadly, there was thought to be an inverse correlation between M&A activity and capital markets activity. And I think, in fact, first of all, that's an overstatement of what historically happened. And certainly in the current moment, they're paralleling each other. I think much greater caution, much um, lower valuations, much more structure, probably um, the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act and, and you know, and pricing having an impact on the models that the larger companies are utilizing for their valuations. So it's been a bit of a perfect storm, and yet we heard a glimmer of hope from Jim as he said that the window was not shut, but there's obviously a lot more discipline in the markets and will be coming forward. So with that, Jim, let me shift to you again for a second. Let's assume, like Voltaire, that we're in the best of all possible worlds and the markets start to come back, and we have to really help companies profile when they're truly ready. Because as we all know, there's nothing worse than coming public if you're not ready and you're not sustainable. But let's maybe divide it up into three sectors. Let's talk about biotech slash biopharma. Let's talk about medtech. Uh, and then let's talk about some of the more mature companies that are heavily commercial, um, as, as Christopher had alluded to. Can you give us your sense of profile of the optimal companies among those three categories? And Christopher and Vasilios, please feel free to chime in as well, of course. As, as, as one general rule, and then I'll start breaking it down into the categories, a lot of companies try to come to the public markets too early. They should try much harder to find partnerships, try much harder to find private rounds of raising money. We, we've seen the risk now of, the, of so many companies that came public in 2021 and what they've done to their valuations now in the market over the past year and a half since then. Companies need to be at a certain stage of development. They've got to be at a certain stage of scientific success. They've got to be at a point where they can raise enough money that they matter to an institutional audience. They need to be at a point where they can raise enough money to have the kind of syndicate that gets them the visibility that they want. I think companies need to do a little more homework on, on how they put their syndicates together. There are, there are brokers out there that continue to bring companies to the market that have really bad track records in terms of the percentage of their deals that go down. 
And so it matters who you spend your time with. It matters who, what banks you see. It matters that you get out at an early stage and visit with investors. You'll get better at telling your story. You know, between Back Bay and D&B, we can help you tell your story better. But you need to get out at an early stage. You'll have so much more confidence when it is time to come to the public markets, regardless of which category you're in. Yeah, I think that the solution of being a public company is sometimes really overvalued, um, to your point. And there's nothing worse than coming out at the wrong time or coming out unprepared or really having an unsustainable track record once you are out. And Christopher, let me ask you to break down a little bit into the sectors with regard to medtech and biotech, for example. They're clearly very different profiles, and medtech has usually been a more product-focused, more acquisition-oriented exit type of approach for investors backing those companies. And yet we have seen during the better markets, medtech emerging and health tech emerging quite well in addition. But break us down a little bit into categories. The, you know, the right candidate for a biotech IPO, the right candidate for a medtech IPO in your view. Uh, I would say in, in the current state of the market where we are now, where it's more challenging, you will definitely um, be more welcomed in the market by investors where like phase two or more ideally phase three within the biotech so that you're more mature and closer to commercialization. And when it comes to medtech, uh, when you have proven the ability to generate revenue and uh, actually a proof of concept, uh, that's uh, something that investors really look for given how the markets are right now. Thanks for that. And I think that the you know issue that Jim raised also is one worth emphasizing again, which is that if you don't have sustainable investor interest, if you're not going to trade at a volume and an evaluation where it's actually truly worth it for the institutional investors to be in, that albeit you can do a financing event, perhaps if you can sneak out in the market, it doesn't mean that it's a long-term solution. We're going to actually cover a lot of the technical steps of coming public in a separate podcast down the line. So we won't get to the key steps and the process per se. But Jim, talk for a moment, and then I want to switch to Vasilios to talk about optimal preparation. But talk for a moment about aftermarket support and whether or not you think that's been critically looked at by a number of companies in good markets coming out or whether it's actually a fact that eludes them on occasion. An IPO is not an isolated event. You know, it may be the happiest day of your life, but it's not the last day of your life. There is a big responsibility in being a public company. You have a communication responsibility. You, ha- you have a responsibility to get your story out to even a broader audience than what you got initially. There's opportunities to get out on roadshows, to be part of conferences, but, but your investor outreach doesn't start. If you, if you list in the U.S., don't underestimate the importance of European investors. If you list in Europe, don't underestimate the important of, importance of U.S. investors. We, we've done 75 roadshows in the first half of this year. That's more roadshows than we've done in any year prior to this. We'll end up doing over 100 roadshows this year, and most of them will be physical. The amount of time that, that companies spend visiting with existing investors and potential future investors tends to pay off. The hard work tends to pay off. And I think we should never forget news flow and knowing that there is 
a next step and a next step and an inflection point that comes forward. So Vesalius, let me switch to you for a moment. Um, and this can actually extend beyond the IPO market. It really extends into every transactional element. Preparation and positioning and really understanding that news flow is critical, as we all know, and as we've emphasized on this call. What should companies do to even make the decision as to which transactional approach they're going to take? Sure. And it's a critical question I think is underestimated. To Jim's point, getting in front of investors. But before you do that, there needs to be a heavy and honest preparation phase. Have a look at your story and your value proposition. Do the diligence ahead of time that others are going to do. It'll help you understand the gaps in the story, understand where others are going to push back. And even though you might not have an answer, because let's be serious, if you're going to be free revenue, right, you're not going to have an answer to a lot of questions. At least you have a perspective. And to throw out a phrase, Jonathan, you use quite a bit is in order to control the debate in these discussions. And before going out to investors, in addition to making sure your, your story is there, is really understand what are the key inflection points? What is the ask for the investors? And, and, and the ask has to be something that'll drive value. And Jonathan, you brought this up earlier. What is the upcoming news flow? What is it going to take? What are, the, what are the first 12, 24, 36 months post IPO in this case? What is the news flow that's going to drive the stock post offering? And it'll also help drive the talking points when you have these investors, which as Jim mentioned, the 75 row shows, 100 this year, lots of face-to-face -face time and being able to tell a clear and concise story I mean, within 15 minutes is, should be the goal. Thank you. And you know, as we, as we think about this, Christopher, I'm curious as to your view. Obviously, DNB has a very strong capital markets presence in the Nordics, in the United States, serves companies globally. Which order do you think recovery comes in? Do you think as the United States markets start to be that much stronger, the Nordic markets or the European markets, for example, will follow? Or do we see actually perhaps the first movement and the first enthusiasm starting back across the Atlantic from where we're sitting and then having that enthusiasm come back over to the United States? Or is there no real pattern that you can discern? Well, I think the historical pattern has always been that the US capital markets are leading the way being the largest and most active. Uh, and then you would see that uh, Europe is following. And uh, the way it uh, looks now is uh, similar. And you see it on the activities so far this year. Uh, US is far more active than uh, Europe. And are there implications in that setting for ensuring that you have European investors coming into US issuances? And how, how critical is that, do you think, to successful US-based IPO? Jim, do you want to take that one? If you spend the time to meet investors, it may take time. It, it may take more than one meeting, but those cross-border investors can often be the most loyal and important investors you have over many years to come. It's the due diligence that's required with these long-only accounts uh, is very, very important. And I mentioned that we're on, on pace to do over 100 roadshows in the U.S. this year. We do hundreds of roadshows when you count all our activities in, in Europe between the one-on-one -on -one meetings and the conferences that we do. So we provide companies as many opportunities as we possibly can to connect with investors. But it is worth spending the time. Those cross-border investors 
make a big difference ultimately in the valuation and and cross border ownership can end up in in the double digit percents of the ownership of a company it, you know regardless of where it's listed thanks jim and christopher one uh, recent example we've seen is uh, a company that uh, priced this week, which is uh, Rusta, which is a Swedish uh, company that uh, are within uh, discount retailing. We were joint book runner on that IPO and uh, raised 2.357 million set for that company. And as Jim is saying, we were able to market this company to our uh, Nordic home base to European uh, long-only funds and also generate capital from uh, excellent accounts uh, here in the US. So marketing globally uh, and spending good time in the preparation phase uh, with the both research and uh, individual investor meetings on a one-on-one basis uh, is a key success of an, uh, factor when we are doing transactions like this. And, and let me add one more thing, Jonathan, to to what we talked about today as advice for companies that are contemplating potentially going public is start early, not only in the preparation phase that we talked about, but engage your bankers that you're going to evaluate to potentially be on your cover and evaluate to make sure that they're able to help you tell your story and not only place the IPO, but how they can support you in the aftermarket. Those are all critical aspects and that starting early is actually going to help you succeed in, in making sure you get in front of the right investors. Terrific. Thanks, Vesalios. I think that's just a, a great note on which to perhaps summarize the podcast and also perhaps summarize our DNB Back Bay partnership as well. And I think what we've heard is that markets have a glimmering of hope at the moment and that all of us are cautious about the rush to over-exuberance that perhaps we saw in 2021 that causes then a retreat and perhaps even a longer bit of damage than we would like to see. But fundamental characteristics, whether it is you know true news flow and later stage clinical development offerings, whether it is true revenues, reaching a profitability, filling clear unmet needs, and proper preparation and excellent management are all the ingredients that come in here. That Europe is critically important um, in terms of distribution, but that obviously the preparation, the meetings, the thoughtfulness that go into an IPO, regardless of geography, and even for U.S., based companies reaching to Europe or, or resting here solely in the United States, that those preparations are all critically important and that financing like clinical development, like commercialization is a strategic initiative. And so I guess what I would say, speaking for all four of us on this call, who are just so delighted to be partners in this new entity that we formed, is that the DNB and Back Bay Partnership for Healthcare is really dedicated to taking companies from the earliest stages of strategic thinking across the parameters all the way through to execution, not just at the IPO, which as Jim said, is just one day in your life, but to the continued support through all the different elements that our combined entity actually has a chance to offer. Thanks so much for joining me here today, Christopher Vasilios and Jim. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.